Welcome back to the Reach for Wellness podcast, brought to you by Community Reach Center, located in Westminster, Colorado. I'm Vanessa Alarcon, a licensed clinical social worker. For this month's episode, we will be talking about domestic violence because it's Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So today we have three incredible advocates for our communities here in Colorado. So I wanna do some quick intros so we can get to know you all. So Marta, we'll go ahead and start with you. If you could share your name, the organization you represent, and a little bit about what you do there. Well, hello everyone. Um, My name is Marta Nasida. I am a legal advocate at SPAN, Safe House Progressive Alliance for Nonviolence in Boulder. Um, I use the pronouns she, her, hers. Um, And I am a Spanish bilingual legal advocate at SPAN. Um, So what that means is I support survivors of domestic violence in navigating the legal system. Um, We support in um, getting protection orders, giving legal information, resources in the community, connecting with attorneys. Um, So yeah, kind of general navigating the legal system and support. Wow, sounds like it can keep you really busy. It does. Yeah. (laughs) All right, good. Katie, we'll go next to you. Hi, I'm Katie Didier, and I'm the lead resource advocate at the Rose Andam Center. Um, The Rose Andam Center is a family justice center, so my role is to complete intakes with survivors of domestic violence and ensure that they're connected to the appropriate resources that they're needing for their situation. Okay, all right, thank you. And Joanna, one with you. Uh, So my name is Joanna, and I am a bilingual therapist at Community Reach Center. And I usually help with the mental health aspect of domestic violence survivors. Awesome. Great. Well, and speaking about survivors, what is domestic violence? How How would you define it? So domestic violence is the willful intimidation, physical assault, battery, sexual assault, and or other abusive behavior as a part of a pattern of power and control. And to keep it a little bit more simple is pretty much an an intimate partner relationship. Anybody that is trying to control or manipulate another person out of fear emotionally, physically, or psychologically. How common does that happen in relationships? Well, I think it's really hard to say how frequently it happens in a relationship, but according to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, it states that one in four women and one in nine men experience severe intimate partner physical violence. And I like that you mentioned that because sometimes if someone's familiar with domestic violence, they may think, oh, it's just women that experience that. But you're right, men um, are, can also be survivors of domestic violence and those from the LGBT community as well. Mm -hmm. So if someone's in a domestic violence relationship, someone may think, well, why wouldn't someone leave at the first sign of abuse? Can you help us understand that? Well, yes, and that is kind of a loaded question because there's many reasons why people um, don't leave that relationship. But some of the basics, I think, come down to like hope. Like, what am I going to do if I leave, right? Um, Financial stress. And the biggest one I think that I've seen throughout my career is just children. Women that don't don't know maybe because of the abuse have um, really been psychologically affected where they feel like there are no options for them. And so it can be really hard to, to 
reach out and ask for help and then you feel really stuck in the relationship and one of the basic reasons why people don't leave is just the fact that they love their partner like their partner may be really abusive but like the original reason why people get together is out of love and hope that it's going to get better and sometimes that just doesn't happen mm-hmm. yeah and it's it's a question like you mentioned from the beginning a loaded question and even if you like google you know frequently asked questions about domestic violence it's typically like one of those first ones because people may not understand that it's a complex it can be a very complex situation so how could someone tell if they're in an abusive relationship Wow, that's really challenging too. Um, But I think mainly looking for those red flags and I don't know, I feel like there is a slight intuition that people may have about these signs that may seem like, hey, there's something wrong or something off in my relationship. Mm -hmm. But some quick red flags that we can look for is quick involvement. Someone going from we just met to let's get married, live together Mm -hmm. right away. a large age age gap um so that is usually an indicator too that there might be something off in the relationship um controlling behavior disrespectful behavior to other people not specifically directed maybe to the partner right away um a history of db that one's a big one if they have been in other relationships that have been abusive it's more likely that there will be in another Um, abusive relationship as the perpetrator. Um, Blaming their feelings or their actions on you, right? Like saying, if you wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't have done that, Mm. right? That's a big one. And any physical contact during an argument, that's a big red flag. Okay, so that should definitely be a sign, or all of those things may be big red flags that there could potentially be abuse in a relationship. Okay. So, Katie, as Joanna was talking about some of these red flags, we may think, well, maybe some red flags have different levels, right? So maybe some may be an indicator, but then there might be some that can be more lethal or more deadly. Can you talk with us a little bit about what are some of those high lethality factors or some deadly factors that we can keep in mind? Yeah, definitely. So uh, domestic violence is all about power and control. Mm -hmm. So uh, victims, their family and friends may not always realize that they're experiencing domestic violence right away. There's been a prolonged history of controlling behaviors and using, um, you know, smaller incidents and then reinforcing them with those bigger incidents of physical violence or emotional And uh, when the violence is occurring in the relationship, it's so common for that to escalate. And some of the things that you can look out for for that is certainly if somebody has threatened to kill you, there's a history of that, especially if they're very specific about the methods Mm. um, that they would do that. Uh, Of course, access to weapons. So if they have access to knives or guns, that's something to look out for. if this perpetrator is experiencing mental illness Mm -hmm. and specifically has made threats of suicide, uh, that can be really critical to pay attention to that as well as increased substance abuse. Um, I really wanted to also point out that when somebody is leaving, a recent separation can be one of the most dangerous times because if you think about power and control, a loss of control can really trigger these violent incidents mm-hmm. um, that can be very intense. It can cause a violent response. Um, 
to re- try to reestablish that control. Mm-hmm. Um, additionally, what I really wanted to focus on is strangulation. So it's been recently identified as the most legal a lethal form of domestic violence. So actually I was just in a recent training on this and um, a woman who has suffered non-fatal strangulation incidents are actually 100% more likely to be killed by that same partner. Wow. Yeah, so when we're thinking about this, the most dangerous domestic violence offenders are the ones that have a history of strangulation. So choking you, restricting your breathing, it's very concerning. And that is the number one thing, if anything, to look out for when you're thinking about what the risks are in your current relationship or when you observe that from uh, what somebody else has been experiencing. Um, What you need to think about with that is that what does strangulation represent? It represents control. It represents the fact that they have control on whether you take your next breath or not. And that not only can be physically altering, but psychologically as well, knowing that somebody can really, you know, take your life away within seconds. Uh, Strangulation is serious as far as medically. Um, You know, unconsciousness may occur within seconds in minutes your life might be gone Um, so definitely focusing on that receiving medical attention or reaching out to medical professionals if you've experienced that Mm -hmm. as well as you know connecting with resources to help get you supported in that safety planning um, and the aftercare that comes with strangulation. Yeah, that's quite a statistic. I never heard that before. I can imagine maybe if someone that happened in their relationship, that may be something that maybe might be kept quiet or not shared because of reactions. But it sounds like, you know, if someone has had that, it's really important to seek that help and support like you mentioned. So you mentioned a little bit about safety planning. Um, if we're thinking about what is, you know, what are the factors and how to stay safe. Um, what kind of help can the Rose Andam Center provide for people who may think that they are in these, like, in an abusive relationship? Yeah, definitely. Um, so the Rose Andam Center overall, it's a family justice center, as I shared before. Mm-hmm. It's a place for domestic violence victims to find safety, support, services, um, helping rebuild their lives. Our vision is really creating a community where s- survivors can thrive in these really difficult situations. Um, the Rose Andam Center actually was the first family justice center in Colorado, opened in 2016. And this is an accumulation of years of work within the victim advocacy field and um, everything that intertwines with that. So collaborating to create a community-based organization where a victim can come and receive services, but it's not just one service. We have partner agencies that are really committed to making a difference, making it easier to ask for help and to find that help. Um, So we definitely provide a wide range of services, everything from advocacy to uh, civil and legal referrals, Mm -hmm. medical, self-sufficiency resources, counseling. Uh, A target of a family justice center is to kind of reduce the trauma of what victims may be experiencing in this really difficult time in their lives. Um, Having to manage all of that 
um, you know, if you've experienced violence and you're, you might be involved in the legal system, you might be involved mm-hmm. in mental health services, financial needs, and having to go to all of those different places, repeat your story to each provider, mm-hmm. that can just be so detrimental. So our goal is to be able to provide one place, meeting with a resource advocate once you get there, sorting through what, what are those concerns, what are those needs that you have, and finding the regret. Uh, appropriate resources for that and getting them connected all in one central location. Wow. And you said it's the first one here in Colorado and that was five years ago. So clearly we have a long way to go. Yeah, definitely. I really believe in the model of family justice centers and being able to take uh, something that is so tough to go through Mm -hmm. and just reducing a little bit of that trauma, making sure people feel support during that is so critical. Yeah. So if someone like hears about the Roseanne Center, hears everything you're saying and they're thinking, well, maybe I'm not in an abusive relationship, but I think um, a loved one or a friend, sibling, family member, they actually might be a victim or a survivor of domestic violence. What should they do? Yeah, definitely. I think that looking for those signs, you know, uh, you can see if somebody is more isolating from you, your friend or your family member, maybe they used to be more involved in their life and they've taken, you know, a step back. That's not normal for them. Um, Constantly being in contact with their partner, Mm -hmm. always updating them where they're at. you know, overall, just noticing if somebody is coping in unhealthy ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the biggest thing to remember if somebody you know is experiencing that is to come at them with no judgment. Mm-hmm. So an open invitation to talk freely and acknowledging that their situation is difficult and scary and that it's brave of them to share this with you mm-hmm. and kind of acknowledging that, not judging their decisions. Don't criticize them. They really need that support at that time. Um, overall, you know, I would point out that remembering that you can't rescue them, that decisions about their lives are their own, but you can support them along the way. So that can be, um, overall helping them create a safety plan, being part of that safety plan, um, them knowing that you're a safe person to go with and, you know, offering them to offering to go with them to a service provider. So maybe taking them to that appointment at the Roseanne Center, offering that emotional support, making that first call with them. uh, That can be a really great approach. So it sounds like maybe not taking over and trying to being that rescuer, but really standing next to them and taking those steps with them. Yeah, definitely. Great. Awesome. Thank you, Katie. So, um, Marta, talk to us a little bit about some of the legal protections that exist for survivors. Yes. So there are a number of different legal protections that exist. Um, One of the ones that I think folks are most aware of is getting a protection order, also known as a restraining order. Um, A survivor can um, file for a protection order in court and they would be able to obtain one if a judge found that they are um, in imminent danger. So that's the legal criteria that needs to be met for a protection order to be granted. And protection orders establish, um, will protect a survivor from unwanted contact with an abuser. Um, 
So um, they protect the person themselves from that contact, but also in a protection order, you can list certain locations um, where you don't want that person um, to to come, essentially like a place of employment, um, mm -hmm. home address, things like that. Um, so that's one. Um, there are uh, a number of other protections. One that's also kind of basic is for survivors who are involved with the legal system, mm -hmm. whether that be in getting a protection order or um, maybe they're going through divorce or custody proceedings. Um, it can be very helpful to have an attorney um, represent them just because navigating the legal system can be very difficult. It's hard to know your rights. Um, so having an advocate and an attorney to help you navigate that can be very helpful. Um, there are organizations um, in our area and in Colorado in general that uh, can support with that. Um, Colorado Legal Services is um, an organization that offers um, free legal representation to folks um, who have low income mm -hmm. and also Rocky Mountain Victim Law Center is another great organization for that. Um, a couple of other things I want to mention include, um, so in Colorado, there is a mandatory arrest law in um, domestic violence situations. There are debates about actually whether that is a helpful um, policy or not. The intention behind it um, was good, let's say, because um, what that law entails essentially is that police officers responding to a domestic violence call are obligated to make an arrest if they find that there is probable cause. Um, so it was this policy was put in place with good intention to protect survivors from a violent um, abuser or partner. Um, however, what can sometimes happen and we see happen is that um, an abuser or um, a violent partner is arrested when that's actually not what the survivor wants mm -hmm. um, or is ideal in that situation because it might uh, exacerbate the situation. And sometimes what can also happen is that the survivor themselves ends up getting arrested. So again, it's kind of open debates about whether this is a helpful um, policy. Um, and just a few other things um, included that I think are good to know and are less known in general. Mm -hmm. uh, protections with regards to housing. Um, a, a victim, was victim of domestic violence um, has a right to break or end their lease due to domestic violence without um, big penalties from their landlord, essentially. Um, what they would have to present usually is, you know, proof of the domestic violence, such as a protection order or a police report. Um, and also another important piece to know, I think, is that a landlord cannot terminate a um, tenant who is a, a domestic violence survivor's lease um, on domestic violence grounds or because they called police. So that kind of falls in within, you know, the know your rights piece. Um, and finally, one more thing I wanted to mention has to do with employment. Um, there are laws in Colorado that uh, essentially establish that um, folks are allowed to get up to three days off of work due to um, reasons related to domestic violence. So that is also a good thing to know for survivors who, you know, may have to go to court um, and need to take time off work for that or um, have to get to a medical appointment due to domestic violence. There are protections um, in place for that, essentially getting time off work. Wow, I know I didn't know a lot of those, and I'm sure some people listening may not have may not know that there's actually some things that have already been put into place to make it so it's not like I don't have time or I may not have fully the resources to make this happen. That there are some protections for people in this situation. So, Marta, 
if like what kind of services does um, SPAN, so Safe House Progressive Alliance for non, uh, Nonviolence, provide to uh, survivors to help reach that independence from the short term to the long term? Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so um, as um, maybe evident, but SPAN is a um, nonprofit that specializes in offering services to victims of domestic violence. We offer a number of different services. Um, in the kind of short-term solutions, um, we do um, have a shelter um, where you know um, folks who are in need of imme an immediate place to stay because they might be fleeing a domestic violence situation, um, they can stay at our shelter for up to six weeks. Um, our shelter is open 365 days a year. Um, we accept uh, individuals of all genders, families, children. Um, so that is, you know, a great thing to know of if you're in need of immediate assistance in that sense. Um, and we also have a 24-7 crisis line. Again, um, it operates 365 days a year. So for anyone who is in need of, you know, maybe immediate emotional support or um, immediate safety planning. Obviously, if it's an emergency, best to call 911. But um, if there is that type of need or a question that you think may um be resolved quickly, our crisis line can take care of those types of things for kind of more short-term um, needs and questions. Um, for longer-term um, needs or um, things that can be helpful in terms to reach that independence um, phase, um, our we do have a housing and economic justice team, mm -hmm. and they offer a lot of support around fi finding um, safe, stable, and affordable housing. Um, they also help with things like rental assistance, um, and in breaking leases that we kind of just touched on. Okay. So, um, yeah, and so they're a really great resource. Um, our counseling team is also a great resource. Um, we offer both individual and group counseling. Um, so folks, you know, that um, feel like they need to process or talk about what they've experienced in terms of domestic violence, they can connect with our counselors. Um, and we do offer kind of a hybrid right now due to COVID. So mm -hmm. um, both in person when that is, you know, a need and wanted, uh, but also um, virtual sessions. So we accommodate kind of every need. Um, and finally, there's our legal advocacy team, and we kind of touched on that already, but we um, support with things like getting uh, protection orders. We do offer comprehensive support through that entire process, connecting with attorneys, um, supporting through divorce and custody proceedings, um, providing legal information, connecting with attorneys. Um, so a lot of different things. Um, yeah, we try to offer kind of that comprehensive support. Yeah, that's something I noticed from looking at your website that there is that really focus on that long-term planning as well, you know, from just that short-term shelter, but then looking for that long-term independence for survivors. So I also saw volunteer opportunities on the website. So yes. it sounds like if someone wants to get like involved in supporting, that there are ways to get connected. Absolutely. Um, so I did want to take a moment to share that crisis line. And so... Um, like Marta said, if you uh, know someone or if you're needing need, or if you are in need for 24-hour crisis support, you can call 303-444-2424 or you can also email hotline at safehousealliance.org. And if you want to stay up to date with what's going on with Safe House Progressive Alliance for Nonviolence Span, as we mentioned, those volunteer opportunities, you can visit safehousealliance.org. For more information on the Rose Andam Center, you can visit Rose Andam Center, and that's andam with an O, dot org. And for information with Community Reach Center, for Community Reach Center, and to get links to our socials, you can visit communityreachcenter.org.
Thank you so much for listening to this month's episode and stay connected to us by subscribing to our show on your favorite platform. Thank you to all of you for joining us today and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you.